Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Dick family basement. And I am just one second here. Okay. Oh, oh boy. I don't know what's going on here. It is going all over the place here. Sorry about that. I thought I checked this all out and it worked. Okay. For some reason, my, um, my equipment is a little bit sensitive. I think it's because I'm switching over to different hostings or whatever I had like Anyways, I don't want to bore you with the details. Anyways, hello everyone. Welcome to the fifth meeting for our Vatican II documents. And before we get into our meeting today, let us pray the prayer of St. Thomas Aquinas. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, Amen. Creator of all things, true source of light and wisdom, lofty origin of all being, Graciously let a ray of your brilliance penetrate into the darkness of my understanding and take from me the double darkness in which I've been born, an obscurity of both sin and ignorance. Give me a sharp sense of understanding, a retentive memory, and the ability to grasp things correctly and fundamentally. Grant me the talent of being exact in my explanations and the ability to express myself with thoroughness and charm. Point out the beginning, direct my progress, and help in completion through Christ our Lord. Amen. Okay, just I'll set everything up here. Perfect. Okay, so just a few housekeeping things is this is not what I wanted. Oh my gosh. Anyways, this is not going uh, as well as I thought. This, okay, perfect. Okay, there we go. Okay. So we'll just go through. Obviously, I left the link to our shared document this evening in the agenda. And I'm just going to be, and it's going to kind of come across in the agenda and as we spend some time together tonight, is that I'm not as prepared as I should be. And the reason for this, I guess I'll start with this, is that uh, on Wednesday or Thursday of last week, I get an email saying that my hosting company that I've been using for, you know, gazillion years, no longer will provide like live streaming for a part of their product. So as you know, I do this live. I also, we also pray the Divine Mercy Chaplet live. And there's other things that I kind of in the pipe that I would like to do live. And I can no longer do it with my hosting company, uh, Spreaker. So I was a little bit ticked off and I was scrambling to transfer over all my stuff into a different podcasting um, hosting company. So I've decided to go with, um, I think it's called Podbean. Um, just hold on a second here. Anyways, uh, yes, Podbean. And um, it's good and everything else. But So I transfer everything over, and we're talking about, you know, I think close to 30 gigs of information transferred over, and they basically have a limit of 10 gigabytes per month. And so I was locked out to post anything new there. Then I had to email them. Anyways, to make a long story short, most of my time, most of my free time has been monopolized by transferring over my stuff. Now, it looks like it's all good to go. And today will be the last time we use Spreaker as my live ca- live casting. So tomorrow it will be you know, my Divine Mercy Chaplet. I know the Darbley family um, joins us usually. So you might want to go to intheredeemer.com and just navigate. I have a tab now that says live streams on it. 
So you'd click on that and then it would go to the live streams and you can join us with the Divine Mercy Chaplet. Obviously, all my live stuff I do upload later, but it is always good to have people sort of live and doing what we are doing here. Sorry for all this hassle. Uh, and hopefully I don't lose many listeners as we're going through this trans transfer here. And um, I don't think I will. But basically, if you're in doubt, you just go to intheredeemer.com and there should be all the information there. Another thing that's very bad is that um, the app that some people do use, um, in the In the Redeemer app, uh, will no longer you be um, usable because we've switched... Um, podcasting hosting companies. So if you do have any questions or comments, please leave them in the comments here, or even you can leave these comments in the shared document. You know, click on the Google Doc, whoever click, when you click on that, you have the ability to um, edit the document itself. So please uh, do that. So if you think I'm a little bit scattered, I've been, a, if you've been praying with us uh, in the morning at Divine Mercy Chaplet, you know, I've been a little bit scattered on that. So you can just imagine how scattered I've been just trying to juggle all this stuff. Not only the time, but even the cost of doing it like this has been a little bit hectic on my end. So that's that's enough of that kind of stuff, right? You didn't come here to hear me rant about um, switching of a um, uh, podcasting hosting company. So I'm still on the lookout for some early times Kentucky whiskey, although a parishioner and a listener of InTheRedeemer.com, and he's actually following the Vatican II document study, David. He uh, gifted me with some Angel's Envy uh, Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey, which I'm having right now. It's finished in port wine barrels. So, you know, I will take a little sip and I will tell you how I think about it. It is quite nice, actually. Thank you very much, David. It is, it's nice. It's, um, it's very different than a lot of the other bourbons that I've had or or what is this Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey. It's um how should I put it it's it's a lot more flavorful in a sense. I don't know, I'm not an expert um whiskey nor bourbon drinker. The as you well know, the reason why I have early times Kentucky whiskey is because it is in one of my favorite books Love in the Ruins by Walker Percy. The main character drinks it all the time. So that's why I would like to have a bottle of it. So if anyone out there has a connection, especially down the States, please let me know. So uh, any requests for songs before the meeting, you can leave them in the shared document. I didn't get any requests for today, although I'd got a few requests, few songs from Deacon David, but I, was not, I have not yet put that in a playlist. And as I say every time, if you come through Mushja, and you want to play some games, please let me know. Without any further ado, I would like to say that you can phone in at any time, especially as I'm rambling along at one 844 Just when you phone in, please mute your um, live stream so it doesn't get that reverberation and stuff like this. Please do that. So I see no real comments or any questions in the comment section of our live stream, nor in the shared document. So let's just get right into it, I guess, today. So today might be a real long uh, session, matters how rambly I get, or very short. But um, first of all is message to humanity. And basically I have three, three points, and I've put little check marks now because we're not going to get through the whole dogmatic constitution of the church 
And uh, so we'll just check it off, stuff that we go through, and then we can uh, pick up uh, next week on that. So there's three points uh, for this document. First is the same, uh, same as the other two documents. It, it is very similar to the other two documents we, um, we went through. So if you want to know more about the other two documents, you know, we just go through our notes here, just scroll down, and you'll get the gist of this document. Um, you know, talking about the, the time, the place, you know, this enthusiasm of opening the doors of the church, you know, this optimism, which is very prevalent, not only in the same other two documents we went through, but also in the message to humanity. The two things that are different than the other um, church, other documents are a little bit different or different emphasis, emphasis is one is called to service. So in this message to humanity, it talks about the service of, um, of believers in Christ, the service the church has to the world and to the faithful. And this is very important, I think, just as a lens to look through um, the documents. And I want to make this as, as kind of as neutral as possible, but I think the documents of Vatican II is this very much call to action. This and and that's neither good nor bad. Like it's it's just the reality of it all. It's there's this like um, this call of action of the of the church, both laity and clergy, to um, renew the face of the earth. So there's this call to action. And how do we do this? Well, in this document, it really calls about peace and social justice. And that's definitely the two um, issues that were at the end there. And then the power of the Holy Spirit. So this this idea, as all faithful Catholics believe, is that we are led by the Holy Spirit, and this comes across in the document. If there's any questions or anything, or did I go through that too fast? It's like I said, it was very much a re- repeat of um, of the last two documents that we looked at. Okay, so we'll go to the dogmatic constitution of the church which starts in page 14. Um, I did not read the introduction or anything else like this. I'm kind of coming to this um, document, one could say, um, uh, like just kind of not blind, but just with no pretense, I guess. I did, down in the shared document, I have two um, relevant links talking about the um, reflection and discussion guide for the Constitution, dogmatic constitution on the church, uh, and then a commentary of it. Now, it's, there's the Latin term for it, but I can barely speak English, let alone Latin. So I've broken it down into the different um, sections here, and I won't be really referring much to the footnotes either. I didn't read much of it. And here's another situation. I'll be very honest, is that, you know, it's been two weeks since we've joined with each other, and what happened was is that I read through the whole or I'd say 95% of the dogmatic constitution of the church within a couple of days of our last meeting. And I wrote some notes and stuff like this in, in the book. And then I can't find the book that I actually read it and did all the notes in. Okay, I can't find that book. So I had another book at work. And so I was reading through it and stuff like this. So a lot of this stuff is, um, I've read it like over a week ago or close or a little bit less than a week ago. Or no, actually more than a week ago. Anyways. And so some of it's a little bit hazy, so bear with me. So that's why it's so important for us to go through this as a group, that we can feed off of one another and stuff like this, and we can ask questions that hopefully will jog my memory and stuff like that. Um, 
So, dogmatic constitution of the church. So, the first part of it is the mystery of the church. And one of the things I found interesting here is that this idea of unity is in the church. Okay, and I think this is sometimes we um, either willfully ignore that part or we just misunderstand it. So, when we talk as Catholics about unity, we should always talk about unity in not only in the church, but coming into the church, right? Unity will always be achieved and only be achieved when people come into the church, when there's unity in the church. There cannot be any unity outside the church in a sense, right? Especially when Christ, we interpret those messages of Christ in the gospel of unity of all Christians, of that coming into the church. And it says here in page 15, uh, the intimate union with God and the unity of all mankind, that is, she is the sign and an instrument of such unity, union and unity. And um, so this is, this is very uh, important because I think this is the lens we need to read this in. We need to read the Constitution on the Church as, a, as this lens of unity. One of the things um, I, was, uh, I, I, I disagreed with a little bit, and there's not much so far that I read that I thought, well, I, I would not really disagree, but I would word it a little bit differently, is also on page um, 15. And it says here, uh, the conditions of this age led special urgency to the church's task of bringing all men to full union with Christ. Okay, I, I totally agree with that. And notice full union with Christ would be in, in the church. Then the next part is, since mankind today is joined together more closely than ever before by social, um, technological, and cultural bonds, I do not think that is true. I do not think that today we are joined together more closely than ever before. Because, so, maybe they just mean this, maybe I interpret that more of a philosophical thing. Like, do we think we are more joined together in a real substantial way because of social media? Or has social media perverted the idea of community and unity? And of course, this is written way before social media and stuff like this, but I think it, it, it hints to that. Like, since mankind today is joined together more closely than ever before, so they we're talking about technology, social, we're talking about immigration back and forth and stuff like this. And, and I don't know even back then that was totally true um, through cultural bonds. I, I think as we see technologies and we think of even cultural, this diminishment of culture and stuff like this, is that I don't think we're any closer than we were before. And I think this closeness that we see or this... Um, bonds that we see uh, or joined, as it says in the document here, joined together more closely is that only of superficial. And I think this joining is not of different cultures or different ideas, but maybe the same sort of like, do we truly believe we have like diversity of ideas within our, um, and within our world in a sense that, that we look at each other as equals? I'm pushed back a little bit about that. Now, as I'm reading it and kind of talking it out loud, it feels like I'm just, you know, talking to the walls over here, or maybe I'm giving a lecture to all my board games today. But anyways, as I talk about me, maybe I'm over reading that, that part of it, but I still see, I still think that 
criticism is, um, I, I think, something to be at least talked about and to be thought about and stuff like that. So here again, um, we look at uh, the agenda here and we look at even, um, it says a, we skip all the way from 15 to page 20. Um, I, I, lo I love this. I love this here on page 17. It's almost like a summary of what came before. It says, thus the church shines forth, forth as a people made one with the unity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So there's this shining forth, this sort of um, like a uh, candle in like a light of the world, you know? And so we do, oh, oh Jesus and the, his church, you know, biblical foundations uh, joined together on um, page. So yeah, so on page 18, it talks about the visible nature of the church. Um, the church consequently equipped with the gifts of her founder, which is Jesus, and faithful guarding his precepts of charity, humility, self-sacrifice, receives the mission to proclaim and to establish among all peoples the kingdom of Christ and of God. Praise God. Like, I've been reading, when I was reading this and rereading this, you know, there was certain um, statements that really um, spoke to me, and that's one of them. It's like the church, consequently equipped with the gifts of her founder and faithfully guarding his precepts of charity, humility, and self-sacrifice. And I think that's, when we proclaim the church today, we proclaim the kingdom of God today, how do we do that proclamation? And I think for a lot of faithful, just one second here. I had to take a little bit of, uh, of angel's envy there, a little bit of bourbon. I think for a lot of us, you know, we really don't think about that. We don't think about how the kingdom is proclaimed in our world, and especially in the context of the church. And I think if anyone kind of thinks about that, we think of it as, you know, what happens at Mass, at the homily, this proclamation of the word, and then the homily uh, is to break open that word, to proclaim it, and to um, give that to the people to understand it. But I think it runs deeper than that, because look what it says, you know, her precepts of charity, humility, and self-sacrifice. It's interesting that that at this in the document it doesn't give sort of the precepts of the church in in a more in a traditional way like what those things, but of um, uh, charity, humility, and self-sacrifice. I think this is how we proclaim the kingdom of God. This is how we proclaim the church to be true is through our actions of charity, humility, and self-sacrifice. So how does that look like? I think charity is one of of the people of God to give to the church, to our parishes. And on top of that, to have a generous disposition of our time and our place, right? Like, do we open up our doors to our neighbor, to our even our friends, to the people we might not like? Do we allow people to steal our time? I think this is a very practical proclamation of the church, of its unity, of, you know, being charitable, the second thing there is humility. Do we allow people to um, talk to us in, instead of us, you know, maybe trying to get the the um, the upper hand or anything else like this? To be humble, right, in our day-to-day um, -day life. And one of the one of the um, examples of this humility, and I think I've shared this before, is during our wedding. You know, my dad was an electrician. God rest his soul. 
and there was some electrical problems in the hall, and there was somebody that had no idea about uh, electrical stuff, and um, my dad just listened to him and kind of nodded and said, and I thought to myself, like, why, why wouldn't my dad say anything? But I, I realized why is because that would cause a lot more um, discomfort, just a lot more tension in a time that was supposed to be joyous. You know, my dad made a very, um, you know, uh, humble choice just to listen and stuff like this and then go about and do what he needed to do to fix the electrical problem. I think sometimes we need to do that in our own life. We need this humility that we don't, um, like in, in a sense that, that we, we have this humility of Christ, right? And that we live out. And that doesn't mean that we are wishy-washy or we're doormats or anything else like that. That's not what I'm getting at. Uh, I've, I heard this really excellent um, line a few days ago, clarity is charity. And I'm going to use that a lot because I think that, that part of our humility is to proclaim, as we mentioned before, the, the church in, in its fullest form in clarity, right? But not in triumphalism, not in a way of power, but in a way of humility. The second, the last part is sacrifice. And I think that's very hard for all of us because I think we've lost a cultural sense of sacrifice. And I think this is really true in our sacrifice of Fridays, right? Of not eating meat and stuff like this. And it's interesting in Vatican II, there was a opening up of the um, Friday sacrifice, you know? Traditionally, Fridays, Friday sacrifice meant is that uh, you don't eat meat. And the story goes in Vatican II is that the, um, the bishops of Africa wanted to get rid of that imposition of sacrifice on Friday and not eating meat. And the reason was not to lessen that sacrifice, but to make it more universal, they said they wanted their people to share in the universal church um, in not eating meat on, on Fridays, right? So um, there was a strong sense that to make that more universal, to say, well, not only not eating meat could be that, fulfill that sacrifice, but many other things, you know, of prayer, of almsgiving, like this, or even eating small meal on a Friday would fulfill that sacrifice, uh, here we have Mark's comment. I'll just read this to myself quickly. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. So Mark just shared this idea. Is it's like the Holy Spirit was readying the church for something that the church hasn't seen coming. True, I think I think so. I think there is this. I, I don't know if this is what you meant by this um, th- this comment, but I do see there's a tension within some of these documents. At least the ones I've read and I'm reading this is this time timeness, right? And and this tension of timeness and this timelessness, or this almost like future looking. And there is definitely a tension there. I think the words and and here's the problem. And I've mentioned this before is one of the problems reading the Vatican II documents in English is there's no official um, English translation of the Vatican II documents, which I think is strange. I don't know why that is. I don't know what the history of that is, um, but it is it is strange, um, to say the least. And to be very honest, the, um, the translation we're using is supposedly one of the worst translations of the Vatican II documents. So 
just throwing that out there. I don't know if that's true or not, but it is one of the quickest um, English translations that came out. So I agree with, with you, Mark, there. I think there is a tension there. Now, going further in the book, so we got uh, unity is in the church, joined together, um, again on page 20, uh, Jesus and his church, the biblical foundation, um, the visible, uh, the visibility of the church, the incarnation, uh, 22. Oh, we're already on 22, okay. Where we are, we are going this as a clip here. Uh, yeah. Oh, and it also talks about, so it gives many different images up here about the different sort of images of the church, and that's what I wrote there, an image start number six. This idea of, of a marriage and stuff like this as, as an image of the church. Now, what's interesting to note is that this image of marriage as church and stuff like this is also the image that traditionally was given to priests and their parish, like secular priests, which means das and priests, is that usually those priests were given to a parish for, if not all, for most of their priestly ministry. So back in the early, you know, whatever, early 1900s, till about, you know, I guess I guess until kind of around Vatican II-ish or after, we're talking about 1970s, 1980s, like early 1980s, late 1970s, that all changed to this sort of seven-year cycle, which has not been the tradition of the church. And I've been really meditating on, on this because I think it's a lot easier um, for the church, I guess, in a lot of ways to have fraternal correction when we don't have the, I guess, the option of moving a priest somewhere else. Do you know what I mean? Anyways, it kind of came came out, anyways, as I was thinking, that was kind of maybe a little bit of a going down a rabbit hole a little bit. But um, yeah, anyways, I just was thinking about that, about the visible structure of the church and everything else, and this image of marriage as the church and stuff like that. The churches has a stand in the temporal order, this is another thing I think about the church too, is because it is a visible structure, it does have something to say about the temporal order. And this is sort of an, I, English is tough for me, but anyways, uh, this is not, a, um, it, it kind of pushes from this, or it, it, it gives birth this idea from this document. Scrapulates, anyways, I can't say that word properly. Because I think if we believe the church is a visible um, manifestation of of Christ here on earth, right? Then, because of that, the church has um, say or has some standing in the temporal order of the world, and this is important because you know a lot of people say, well, why does the church you know have ideas about economics? Let's say, and now anyone that knows me knows that this is a big. Uh, thing for me, and I do a lot of reading and thinking on these issues of what is the church's um, say in the temporal order when it comes to economics and, and and politics. And I think it says a lot, right? Because one of the um, concerns of the church is human flourishing, right? We we have to understand that all this stuff that's being said and done and and is doing within the church is bringing Christ here on earth, to have this visible, but also through that, through that to facilitate human flourishing. So that's why when it talks about, let's say, you know, about sex and about marriage and about um, human identity and stuff like this, this is all through a lens of human flourishing, of 
of joy, right? And sometimes that's very difficult because there is a diff- difference between joy and happiness that we all know, and I won't really get into it. But I think that because of this temporal, um, you know, because of this temporality of the church, the church can um, proclaim the truth of the matter about economics and politics. Now, as we know, especially in modern times, the church has not came out with a particular structure or a particular way of doing things, but it has condemned certain ways of doing things or particular um, uh, thoughts and like this. It's condemned those, and I think those are important for us to grapple. Maybe not in this, obviously not in this study, but even to grapple to the fact that the church has come out to say that socialism is not good, right? dictatorship is not good. You know, to lord over power over people is not good. Now, that being said, too, is that it also says that unfettered capitalism is not good either. So we need to find a space where we can, um, you know, actually proclaim that part of the good news to the world. And that's something that I struggle with a lot because here in Canada, some of you might not be here in Canada, I don't think in Canada, both provincially and federally, and I live in Saskatchewan, there's actually a space um, for any sort of dissidence when it comes to economic or political thought. And it's hard. So how do we, you know, start at the ground level to carve uh, some of that out? Now, I think that the, you know, Catholic teaching on economics and politics is very universal. You do not need a believer to understand the truth of the matter. Um it helps, no doubt about it, but you don't have to be. So how do we, you know, present that um, truth of the church without, um, you know, w- without being called like a religious zealot or anything else like that? So that's something to, to know this visible, this visible church, both the incarnation, these images of the church is and has a standing in the temporal order. So I'll just pause here for a few seconds. If anyone wants to have a comment, you can write in the chat or even come into our shared document, write some stuff down. Or if you want to give me a call at one 340 I'll just pause for two seconds as I take a little drink and wait for your call slash comment. I'll tell you this is how like life goes. You know, when I'm not super prepared for something, I get very little feedback. And I'm not trying to guilt anyone for feedback or whatever. But, you know, the last few times we've met, I've had lots of prep. I've done a lot of work. It's like this. And then I get a lot of comments like this. And the time goes super fast, even though I, I didn't get through all the stuff I kind of wanted to. Now I'm just like, I'm half hour in. I usually budget about an hour for these meetings. And I'm just like blazing through all the stuff I wanted to get through today. So let's put forward here because, you know, I only have a few more points. So here we are ending with the mystery of the church here from page 22 to 24. Um, On page 22, number eight, paragraph two. I don't know where that is. Oh, it says here, like just the first line of... um, page 22 here. Oh, eight. Yeah. Uh, Christ, the one mediator established the ceaselessly 
uh, sustains here on earth his holy church, the community of faith, hope and charity as a visible structure. So we talked about that. And it's interesting that we have a community of hope and charity. So that there's other pillars of the church uh, the document is talking about. Then we have the last line on page 23, which which I highlighted, which I think this is um, this really speaks to the nature of the church, this whole document does. But anyways, a particular facet of this is says, thus although the church needs human resources to carry out her mission, she is not set up to seek earthly glory, but to proclaim humility and self-sacrifice even by her own example. So here's something that I think... You know, um, one one of the things that I've um, really got out of this document is about humility and self-sacrifice, which is mentioned throughout the document. And I'm and in this kind of commentary, I don't want to like call people out or anything else like this because I think I fall short of this too. In this idea of of humility, and I mentioned that a little bit before, but the to have this fullness, oh. What is the phone number again? You can check up up front here, Mark, but it is 1-844-340-5001. Um, it's also in the um, text up here. I will put it on here again. One. I hope it's working. I think it is anyways. Um and I think one of the parts of humility is leaders of the church need to meet people, need to come and meet people. I, I see a lot of times within the church structure and stuff like this, from kind of the, the highest up to to trickles down, is that there there is a lack of humility. And what I mean by that is just a lack of um, meeting people as persons, to go where they are. You know, my one of my patron saints is St. Saint, um, Alphonsus, who, you know, study, who started like Bible studies at coffee shops in Italy, you know, met people where they were at. This is an act of humility. You know, people shouldn't come to the church in the sense or to the clergy. They should, the clergy or the people of God need to go to the people. And I think that's very hard. I think that is um, very, uh, like, terrifying. At, uh, you know, it is a lot easier to meet people in a boardroom or people that wear suits and look like us and talk like us or whatever. It's very difficult to go and meet the people. But I think in this document, it really um, challenges us to go and meet people where they're at. And this goes hand in hand with self-sacrifice, because when we do that, there is a sense of self-sacrifice in there, that we say no to ourselves and yes to the other. And that is both full of humility and that of self-sacrifice. So we'll go to the last line of, oh, I guess that is the last line. Hopefully, Mark, you're uh, phoning in. Hopefully my phone number works. Now I'm kind of terrified that I put my phone number out there and it's not working today for some unknown reason. So that ends the first part of the dogmatic constitution of the church, the mystery of the church. Um, I don't know if it's good we could maybe just leave it there and just talk a little bit about just where we're going from here. Hopefully next time we meet, um, we'll do people of God. Like what I want to do is get probably through most of the rest of the document. Uh, the first part is the, I guess, the most heavy, 
I guess to say. Oh, we do have someone phoning in. Just one moment, please. Hello, how can I help you today? Welcome to the Vatican II uh, document study. Hello? Thanks, Lamont. Oh, perfect. Yeah, we, I can hear hey, you. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, you bet. Awesome. Excellent. Do you have a comment or? Yeah, well, the whole, the, the way I've been, you know, following, reading these documents with you and, and the whole time I've kind of had this feeling like, like they thought, they thought they had a pretty clear idea of why they were having this council. Right. Like there's a confidence and there's like a, uh, I don't know what it, optimism in it. For sure. Yeah. And, and I think that's kind of been carried on to hmm. a certain extent with, I don't know, the springtime of the new evangelization and that kind of thing. Right. And, and I just have this feeling like, like, no, like that is not why the Holy Spirit, I think, like, I think that the Holy Spirit wanted the council and wants a renewal in the church. Right. But not the one that maybe we have been looking for or the one that, I don't know. Like I just, it's like it didn't land. Right. It didn't land at the time. It still quite hasn't quite landed. And there might be, like there is, there's something that we're, I just have a feeling like there's something like we've we've missed. And maybe it's just that it it hasn't happened yet. Like there's, maybe the, the world hasn't really experienced the, I don't know, the fall that the the council's trying to get us ready for, right, or something. You know, like when I'm reading through it, I, you know, there's there's uh, the idea of spiritual renewal comes up, right, quite often, and I don't know. So I'll give you. I just have a feet now. I'll give I'll give you something, okay? And I want your feedback on this because mm-hmm. I've been really thinking about this, and I I think I'm on your I'm in your boat paddling the same way, and it is hard to kind of say what's what's happening here. I do think, and we've talked about this before. We had James phone in too to talk about this um, misdirected. I think at, at least historically we can say this 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 misdirected optimism, but I also think there's a misdirection of what humanity needs and it's kind of interesting on our first three documents that we read it there was this idea of if we just gave people the information that will lead them to the church and i think that's Mm -hmm. a little bit wrong-headed so i'll give you i'll give you uh an example of this and i'd like your feedback so there's this gentleman Mm -hmm. who is been coming to church for um six months now every sunday and um, he talked to the priest, and he, I won't, I don't really want to get into the, too much into um, this person's situation, but so he comes to the church, he, Anglican, and so, and he was higher up in the Anglican church, it's like this, and he's coming to our church, and because of that, because of that relationship with the other denomination, he wanted to talk to the priest, so sure, talk to the priest, and the priest really said, who we have an awesome priest and everything else, and so what usually happens when someone comes to the church is that we give them 
oh, you need to read the catechism. You need to know what the moral teachings of the church are. It's like this, which I think is good. I think that's true. Mm -hmm. But so the priest comes, says, though, you need to talk to Deacon Lamont. He takes care of all this kind of stuff. So he comes to my office, and what, what I ascertained was is that he's actually lost his faith. He has, um, he's struggling with Jesus, whatever. And I thought to myself, well, you don't need, like he has this PhD, like he's way smarter than me. He probably knows the, the general faith better than I do. He probably knows Catholicism better than I do that when he's talking about, but he's, he's lost it. And I thought to myself, you know, he doesn't need more information. Like I could say, you know, go read this and that. So what I said to him, I said, like, you need to read like love in the ruins. I know I should have a little bell every time I mention love in the ruins, but, <laughs> but, but, but this has really made me think though, you know, um, father Ian Boyd, God rest his soul, um, just passed away, had his funeral last Saturday. And what he really talked about in a lot of his stuff, if you go back is the power of literature to lead people to Christ. And we all know mm-hmm. you've, you knew father Boyd of huge intellect, huge, yep. huge, but and when you talk to him personally and stuff like this, he he really thought that that intel, the intellect was good in a sense of knowing the faith and defending the faith. But I think he thought literature mm-hmm. brought people to the faith. And I think this is a kind yeah. of a, a, a missed, not really a missed opportunity, but it seemed like the Vatican II documents so far we read, it was really steeped in this sort of intellectual um, tradition that says, well, we just need to give people more stuff instead of saying, well, no, what we need to give people is the opportunity to realize that they need Jesus. This, this really metanoia to say you're broken and we have, we have what you need to be healed. And that's different than sort of intellectual knowledge, which you know me, probably a lot of people know me. Like, mm-hmm. I, if I could get information done to me intravenously, I would. Like, I'm a complete nerd. But I do think that has limits. And I think the optimism that we see in the Vatican II documents is this optimism of sort of like head knowledge. I don't know. What do you think about that? Or yeah. do you think I'm way off? Or No, I think that that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, yeah, I've been kind of following a few people online right and some of them are a little they're a little uh, weird or different right and one of them is john verveke who's the cogsci guy at the U of T, and he's got some strange interesting ideas but one of the things that he has kind of really brought to my mind pretty clear is that yeah we we put propositional knowledge in a place of supreme importance and it, and it just falls flat. Right. The, yeah. The, the idea, the, the kind of description, the definition, the, yeah, the intellectual propositions, they're good. They're important. They help define and clarify, but, but uh, yeah, they don't, they don't cut it in the long run. Right. Like they, they don't, you can't participate in them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's just, they don't. There's no. There's no living it or embodying right. it in a way. It's too. It's flat. It's kind of flat. Right. Knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's, it's kind of lifeless. Right. And and I'm gonna post this once I read it, and so because I'm gonna post it on the shared document or here. But someone sent me an interesting sort of article by Cardinal Olette, and I would say Cardinal Olette is the steady Eddie sort of cardinal in the church. Like he's just, 
you know, very solid, very good. Um, but he recently just wrote that he thinks that the optimism found in the Vatican II was is left hollow, he says. And I, I was really shocked for someone like Cardinal Olette to say that. But I, like I said, I haven't read it all, but that's basically the synopsis of what he was writing is that his story, history tells us that this optimism was, it, you know, is, is kind of falls flat. And, and he says, and he's a type of guy, like he doesn't say, well, then now we just throw out all of Vatican II. He says, but that has to be the lens that we look at some of these documents. And, and I, yeah, mm -hmm. sure. I think mm -hmm. that we can do that. I think we do that with, it's kind of interesting. And here's just another thing, um, is that I think that we have a different, I, I guess the culture of the church has um, sort of two extremes. One that almost like makes Vatican II documents sense like this myth or whatever, the spirit of Vatican II, this almost like kind of divinization of it. And then we have this total rejection. Mm -hmm. And I think there is a solid sort of ground where most other uh, ecumenical councils come into, like let's say Trent or whatever, is where you try to appropriate those documents within the time and space that we live in. And I think that's important. I think that, you know, I, I really like Council of Trent, but, you know, I, I do appropriate those things in this time and space, right? I just don't let them to be sort of like dead documents, you know, happened in, in a certain space. So, yeah, I don't know. There's lots more questions yeah. than yeah. answers that I'm getting at anyways. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but that's... that's I guess, like, I think the... I think Benedict's idea of, like, we have to renew the liturgy... Right. ...is key because... The liturgy gives you, like in Verveke terms, gives you procedural and uh, participatory and other like other ways of of knowing thing, knowing something besides the propositional. Right. And yeah. Liturgy is super important. Like that is key. Yeah. That is absolutely central to it. Yeah, and I think, and that's one of the. Like I think liturgy is one of the things that took the biggest hit after. Yeah, I would agree. Coming out of Vatican II. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and I think that and when, maybe that kind of that propositional, uh, intellectual, iconoclastic, even. Yeah. Like there's something, there's something about that aspect of Vatican II that I think actually did come out in the liturgical abuses. Oh, for sure. But but there's, but then I think that there's there is there was something that I don't know there is something that did need to be to be revived. Yeah, I I think so too. Or to to be a a living like like to be be alive. Yeah, like lived in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and and I think that once we get to that liturgy, like liturgical part of Vatican too, like I I think one of the you know, you might seem this weird, but like, I think a person that really talks a lot about that in uh, in a kind of more philosophical way is like that Korean philosopher. His last name's Hung, H-A-N uh, or Hun. Anyways, he he talks about like liturgy is the is the structure that we live our life in order for us to experience life. In a sense that that liturgy gives mm -hmm. us the mm -hmm. tools to be mournful, right? Like, like he says, the reason why mm -hmm. the, the world doesn't know how to grieve is because they don't know what liturgy is, right? Like liturgy gives us yeah. this universal yeah. language in order for us to connect with, with these huge, huge, um, 
uh, events and stuff like this. And I think you're right. I think like, yeah. and I think we see this in our current situation in our church where I think there is this deep seated animosity towards, um, at least for some people towards like good liturgy. And I think that's really mm-hmm. the, sure, the, re- yeah. the result of de- not only deformation, but uh, like I'll say it, I think it's the work of the devil a lot of times. Yeah, yeah. Because you're right. I think this is how we live out our faith. And I think that in order for us to have a truly springtime of the church, it needs to have a liturgical root. And I think that comes through our discussion today within the church. Yeah. yeah that's good. Yeah, it's definitely coming out. I oh, even yeah. heard a Protestant minister who was speaking uh, about the lack of reverence in our culture. And even the lack of ability to recognize, like when you should be reverent, right. or how do you be reverent? Yeah, yeah. And and then he he realized, oh, that's wow. You know, like he was speaking of his wife, who's a school teacher, and they both realized, oh, well, these kids, they've never been in a church, they have right. no experience of it. Like, where else are you going to have that experience right. of reverence? Or see, like, oh, here's a space that you're not just supposed to go running through called, a, <laughs> yeah. you know, like a, a holy space. Right. You know, like a sanctuary. Right. Or, oh, here's a guy wearing strange clothes. True. Right? It's like, oh, yeah. all of these embodied visual action signs right. and symbols that help you to develop Reverence, and I'm staying for reverence. I think my last point on that, I think what you really described there is this flattening or what I call like plasticization of the world where everything is plastic. Like there is a suspicion of why is one person wearing funny clothes and no one else is, you know, like like there's this flattening Mm -hmm. of experience, right? There's some sort of like almost natural rejection of sort of... um, uh, like like people being different with our different roles in the in the world right and i think that's very mm-hmm. dangerous um because if we don't have that in the world then we can't interpret the world properly ef schumacher talks about this as in small and beautiful in the uh his other book perplexing world or whatever about like when we destroy hierarchies we actually destroy nature we destroy actually how to look at nature and how to look at things and he says that hierarchies are not, by definition, uh, 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 like a system of power, but a system of relations, and and I think that's so yeah, important. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like like we're not, but yeah. but because we have this sort of, uh, you know, animosity. At least the world does of, of like, why does someone get to dress differently, or why shouldn't we bring our coffee into church or anything else like this? This sort of like you know, leveling of, of everything becomes mm-hmm. then nothing is sacred, right? And I think the kids yes, realize yes. that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. that's... that's yeah, yeah. They, they experience the meaninglessness of yeah. it 100%. Yeah, for sure. And yeah. it's sad. It's very sad. No, well, thank yeah. you. Thank you very much, Mark, for phoning in. Actually, you might have saved like a very um, not great um, lecture today. So thank you very much for that. Oh, thanks for taking my call. Yeah, no problem. Okay, take care. Bye. Oh, yeah, thank you very much, Mark, for phoning in. And we will wait a few moments if there's anyone else 
that wants to um, phone in, they can at this time. If not, I think we're going to wrap it up right here. Thank you again, Mark, for phoning. That was pretty awesome. It did fill some time, and it felt awesome. I love talking to people. And uh, next week, we will uh, do this again, although it won't be from the same um, hosting company. If you notice in the shared document, and I'll share this, I'll email everyone that signed up, is that I already have the post, the the link to a next week's um, live live stream. Um, it's going to look different. It's like this. Hopefully, on your end, it'll be all... Uh, it won't be too, too hard to understand or to, to navigate. Uh, it might be easier. I don't know. It's, it's, easy, it's a little bit easier on my end to use this other podcasting hosting company. Um, there is a little bit of a learning curve on it. But So yeah, so if there's no other comments, I'm just going to have another little sip of my uh, bourbon. And if no one else has any comments or everything, we'll end there. And then we will f- hopefully finish up... Um, the, the last little bit, or it's not the last little bit, but the next part of this document, and then we'll talk about points to ponder next time. Okay, perfect. I will not belabor the point. It is 8.52. That sounds like a good time to start, stop. So I will just uh, we'll just close with a blessing. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in the peace of Christ. Thanks be to God. Thank you very much for joining me here today, us, all of us. Um, it's been awesome. I've really been enjoying this. I've been enjoying contacting people and stuff like this. There's been a lot of people that are listening to this podcast as it's downloaded and stuff like this, which is also awesome. So until next week or tomorrow, tomorrow we have Divine Mercy Chaplet. Everyone knows the schedule here at In the Redeemer. So if you do have any questions, comments, please email me or head down to intheredeemer.com. There'll be lots of links to pray with us, to engage with us and everything else. So until next time, God bless. Have a great day and see you next week and keep very, very crispy my little tater tots. Bye. 